0: Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Thank you. Thank uh, It's going to be a great, great series, guys. The next five weeks, we're going to be talking about heaven and hell. And I want you to know, I had a lot of people say, "Man, I did have some people's." You know, different folks, different feedback from folks. And um, my mom's texting me saying, Hi, honey, because she's watching. Like, hi, honey. Hi. <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> hi, mom. Um, oh, let's get, well, there it is. Awesome. I got it. Yes. So, well, it's going to be a good time. And what we're going to be talking about, I'm just going to kind of give you a quick overview. And, like, don't read these titles. And if you don't like these titles, choose not to come. I Don't do that. Like, uh, I try to, uh, um, I try to, uh, my brain is. Culminate, I'll just use that word, I it's not right, culminate all my thoughts into a slide to help you understand where we're going for the next five weeks. Um, so today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about experiencing the glimpses of the afterlife now, and next week we're actually going to talk about what happens when I die. So when you die, uh, what happens, it's called intermediate heaven and hell, and we'll talk about that. You'll learn about what does it look like, what happens when I die. The third week we're going to look at the new heaven, the new earth, and eternal hell, and what happens uh, what's the ultimate plan? Once this whole thing, uh, you know, the curtain closes and, and people, th- they're, they're bowing and the roses have been thrown on the stage of life and it all comes to a culmination and an end, what does it look like? What happened next? Fourth we we're going to look at you know, Easter Sunday, Jesus' heaven on earth. we talk about how uh, Jesus, uh, it's a really cool concept, that Jesus came from <laughs> the crack of heaven to come to earth to give us uh, access to heaven and how we get to actually experience this incredible eternal uh, experience because of that. And then lastly, we're going to end on how now we as followers of Christ are actually have heaven living inside of us, and we need to be a reflection of that of that heaven. And so um, I want to share just a few of kind of like opening statements, opening comments to kind of set the precedence so that you can kind of have, a, a, I want to kind of diffuse any of your questions a little bit. So the first thing is that I am not an expert on heaven and hell. <laughs> so like don't uh, expect me to come here today, I and mean, then I know all things about heaven and hell. This is a brand new journey for me. For me, I've read, like countless books, and all those books are available to you on our website, not for free, you gotta buy them, but, uh, all those resources on, uh, forward slash heaven and hell, and I've listed six or seven books that I've personally read, and, and that are incredible books that I, if you're a reader, you should read them, because they're just, they're fascinating. Um, but I'm on a journey like you are, so I do feel like I have a good grasp on the truth of this whole concept, but I don't want you we won't touch on topics like, you know, um, we have miscarriages my a baby in heaven or in hell. Or people in Papua New Guinea who uh, never heard the gospel, and they never heard Jesus, are they in heaven or hell. Those are topics that I'm willing to grapple with you. I would love you to send me your questions. Uh, Ryan at lovesinchurch.ca send me your questions and I will actually go on a journey to discover the answer with you. If I don't have the answer, I'll be real clear with you. You say I'm struggling with this question, I have an hour, I got this thing, please email me um, in a very kind way um, and just say, hey, I want to know about this. And what I'll do is will actually go and research it for you and then I'll kind of give you some resources and we'll do this together. Because uh, I want you to really understand that, like I'm beginning to understand that this has actually uh, changed my life. Uh, my study of heaven I don't really get all emotional because I'm sick but if you're here like oh he's he's sick no I'm just an emotional person so um, it's transformed my life it's changed my existence and, and I really want to change yours too and so that's kind of the point of the series the point of the series is to give you a deeper insight into the realities of heaven how in the afterlife and the ultimate goal is that you'll actually look at your life now and consider your life and begin to understand that God made you that heaven would be your ultimate home that heaven would be your eternal destination and that he has actually given each and every person on the planet something in their life that calls towards that home and so so that's the first thing is I am not an expert the second thing is I, I will say things you won't like you just need to be it. now I am crafting these messages knowing that there's three different people in the room there's someone who does not know God at all and so they're new to the faith or are new to this idea of church people who have been in church but are not really maybe followers of Christ. They are churchgoers. They're more religious individuals. Who go to church, I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm just kind of classifying people who go to church but don't really have an understanding of who God is. And then those who have been in church since they were born in the pew, their diapers were changed in the pew, and, you know, they know all the nuances of ecclesiology and eschatology and lilology and all these things. And I'm going to try to, you know, tickle their fancy too. So it's a real challenge. But I want you to know that I am going to say things that you won't like. I will say things that you won't like. And I'm not here to have a position on my my position on uh, end times, theology on how Christ is to return. Or, I'm not here to have a position on um, on the very specific nuances and details of hell that will I be able to dunk a basketball in heaven or not. Like, I don't know, if you want that, wish that, maybe you'll get it. I don't know, but the reality is, is that I'm not going to go there, but there are three positions that I will take, and I'll just make them clear to you right now. Here are those positions. The first one is this. Every person that chooses to give their life to God will spend an eternity in the most overwhelmingly, incredible reality when they die. Every person who chooses not to give their lives to God will experience an eternity without people, without God, without clarity, without understanding, without joy. It will be like torture. It's very clear you understand what I'm saying. It will be like torture. We, and the third one is this. And these are just the three positions that are clear in Scripture. We will be judged for the life we've chosen to live on this earth, both believer and unbeliever. Those are the three positions that I'll start off and by saying those are the three things that we hold. Biblically are true, but we're not going to spend too much time hovering around those so you don't have to worry. We're not going to spend the whole time talking about your judgment for, you know, at the end of time. Don't worry, we might mention it here and here and there, but we're going to spend more time trying to help you want to go to heaven and stay away from hell. Uh, the reality is I want you to live a life here on this earth that experiences heaven, that is a life that is a relationship with Christ and you experience what Christ has intended. For you, and I have this quote here. It's from a guy named Peter Galli who wrote a book called God Wins, who is a rebuttal book to a guy named Rob Bell who wrote a book called Love Wins, and he wrote "There's such teachings make us feel uncomfortable. Some Christians are so unsure they're standing with God that the mere thought of judgment frightens them. Others are not so much concerned about themselves. As for their loved ones who've never put their trust in Christ, how will they avoid hell? Still others think hell and judgment reflect badly on God and want to protect his reputation. So it's understandable that we are tempted to soften the Bible's teaching on hell and judgment because it makes sense for us to want to figure a way around it, but we can't because scripture teaches it. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to just walk through a few, few kind of, I call them blocks, few blocks and these blocks are thoughts and ideas, questions that I have, and this is definitely a different form of my normal preaching and teaching, as you already can tell, I'm sitting on a stake and stand here, normally I, I put in a minute right now. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the misconceptions of heaven and hell. Misconceptions of heaven and hell, often... You know, when we think about heaven, we think about the mysteries and the ideas of clouds in heaven and harps and, you know, it's eternity where we're forever in this worship service that we just had where there's bad media problems and it's this perpetual worship service where we're seeing. I'll sing hallelujah for eternity. We've seen this song 90,000 times. We had this idea which was great, James. <laughs> But if we had not ever been to Turkey, I might want to check out. But the reality is is that we all know that there's these ideas of heaven that are like this perpetual worship service where we're sitting in a church service and we're singing and worshiping and listening to a guy preach and we have this idea of church and we think, well, that's just this perpetual heavenly experience that we're going to have. Uh, Randy Alcor wrote this in his book, uh, 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 called Heaven, which is probably the most important book you could read outside the Bible, in my personal opinion. Uh, I heard a pastor make a startling confession. He said, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. I tried not to show my shock because I asked him why. I can't stand the thought of the endless tedium to float around in a cloud with nothing to do but strum a heart. It's also terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather not be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Where did the Bible-believing seminary-educated pastor get such a view of heaven? Certainly not from Scripture. There are Christians that have never looked forward to heaven, but have thought of it as a distant, boring, and even frightening place. John Elgin said this in his book, Journey of Desire. Nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service, and we've suddenly an image of the never-ending scene along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever amen, and our heart sinks. Forever and ever, that's it. That's the good news. And then we sigh and feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. And we lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life that we can. Many of us see hell or heaven like this. That, you know, here's this guy, this Gary Larson, he says, man, I wish i bought a magazine. Or <laughs> this one here. <clears throat> And the guy on the top is handing kind out of hearts, welcome to heaven, here's your heart, welcome to hell, here's your accordion. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of our existence in heaven. You know, Mark Twain wrote, you know, obviously, an amazing book, Huckleberry Finn. Uh, and and uh, Huck, in the book, uh, Huck Finn was talking to Miss Watson, and he was Miss Watson was giving her perspective to Huck Finn on on heaven. And she she, uh, he, she said this: all all he would have to do to go there would go around all day, like long with a harp and sing forever and ever. So I didn't think much of it. I asked her, Huck Finn asked her if he she reckoned Tom Sawyer would go there, and she said, well, not by a considerable sight. I was glad about that because I wanted him and me to be together. <laughs> so, often had, had an opportunity, he was inquisitive about heaven, but Miss Watson, Watson didn't have a clear understanding. So, if he only knew about the biblical interpretation of heaven, if he only knew that what the Bible says, that living in a resurrected body and being with people we love on a resurrected earth with gardens and rivers and mountains and untold adventures, that definitely would have gotten his attention. But when Mark Twain, lay on his deathbed, he wrote this last sentiment uh, about his life, even though his entire life he asked questions about heaven and tried to understand who God was, he said that the burden of pain, care, misery grows heavier year by year. At length, ambition is dead, pride is dead, vanity is dead, longing for release is in their place, and it comes at last the only unpoisoned gift earth ever had for them. And they vanished from a world where there were no consequences, where they achieved nothing, where they were a mistake and a failure and foolishness. See, when we don't have an accurate understanding of heaven, we don't actually ever experience the life on earth that God intended for us. From a book uh, from Thomas Howard, a book called Christ the Tiger, <laughs> the problem is not doubt so much as dullness, not disbelief, but disinterest. Most of us are not unbelievers. We're ready to believe almost anything that turns us on. In fact, we are far too credulous that heaven will not turn us on if our head's picture of heaven does not meet our heart's needs. The popular head picture of heaven is one of changes, perfection, sometimes imagery of hearts and angels and clouds, sometimes of the imageless uh, concepts of abstract spirituality that may be heaven for angels, but it's more like hell for humans. And so it's important to understand these misconceptions of heaven I believe for so long I couldn't even wrap my brain around what heaven was like and as I began to study it and begin to read books on it, I begin to realize that heaven is far, far better than the earth that we live on, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. Let's talk about hell a little bit. You know, the misconception about hell is that, you know, when I go to hell, that we're just gonna spend it's just gonna be a big party of buddies. And we're just going to basically be all together and all the things that I like to do on earth that I'm not allowed to do, you know, all these things that I love to do that I know I'm not supposed to do, I'm just going to be with a bunch of other people who want to do it and we're just going to have a huge party. The reality is is that that is absolutely, the, the absolute opposite of what hell is. Hell, the difference between heaven and hell is that heaven is completely with God and hell is completely without God and without people. The other misconception, we see and I couldn't believe this at Looney Tunes, is Duck went to hell. In Looney Tunes, we see this picture of Gappy Duck standing before Satan, being judged by Satan. In this picture, we see Satan has this pitchfork with horns on his head, and this idea that Satan is going to torture you, and he's going to poke you with his prod and he's going to be the judge of hell. That is absolutely the most unbiblical thought that anyone could ever believe. Satan has no power in hell. Only God has all the power. Satan is not the judge of us in hell. J- Satan has no power and no authority to judge, to judge the living and the dead. Only God does. We see uh, that this idea of this misconception this, this that Satan is in charge of hell actually came... Uh, in 1320, a man named Dante wrote a book called *The Divine Comedy*. And *The Divine Comedy* is 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 this 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 long form poem that describes uh, this 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 uh, deep. Uh, uh, torture of people and this conception of the devil and this level of hell. how actually the movie uh, Dan Brown wrote a book called Inferno and they made a book uh, it was a movie called Inferno that is all centered around this idea from Dante and Dante got these ideas from uh, from his, from the Quran from uh, from Islamic tradition he took the ideas of hell and put them into this book and this idea and this picture here is a picture. That fire uh, was, was drawn to represent hell and what would happen in hell. And then here, Dante, uh, uh, another Italian artist, uh, uh, drew this. And if you get really close, you can see the little nuances of uh, levels of hell down to Satan himself where people are being tortured. This, this is where most Christians have gotten their biblical truth uh, from hell. It's from a from the Quran, from from a Muslim teaching and mystic ideas that Satan has somehow is this powerful being over you? When in reality, God is the only one. He's all powerful, all knowing. God. Yeah. Satan, yes, is the god of this world. And yes, Satan blinds the minds. Of, of people to accept God absolutely, but when we get the, the hell is not about you being prodded and tortured and judged by Satan, that is actually a very fictitious idea and it has been adopted into our churches and adopted into our understanding of what hell really is like and that's not hell at all the devil actually wants us to think that the devil actually wants to think, want you to think that he has more power over you than he really does why have we, our culture has lost this idea of hell and heaven. This, our culture has lost it. The reason our culture has lost it because our North American society has abandoned the view of the afterlife because we have begun to abandon tradition. All cultures across the world, all nations across the world have tradition after tradition after tradition that they carry from people group to people group. In, in 2010, a Canadian poll found more than half of us think there's a heaven, while fewer than a third acknowledge that there's a hell. And it's because we're abandoning the tradition of our forefathers with the Christian Judeo-truths. We see uh, Peter Kraft's uh, book called Heaven is My Home. This really is All around us are living a tragedy of meaningless life, and that is what makes our society most radically different from every society in history. Not that it can fly to the moon enfranchise more voters, have the grossest national product, conquer disease, or even blow up the entire planet, but it does not know why it exists. Every society prior to ours gave its members answers to these three questions. What can I know? What should I do? What may I hope? I transmitted the teaching of its sages and saints and it's mystics and gurus and philosophers or gods through tradition. For the first time in history, society no longer regards tradition as sacred. In fact, it no longer regards it at all. And we are the first tree that has uprooted itself in the universal soil. And if we are to find the answer to the questions for what may, what may I hope, we must find the answer individually. Our society simply does not know. And the only sound we hear from our noisy society concerning the most important questions in the world is the sound of silence. A.J. Conyers wrote this in his book, in the, Eclipse of he- in *The Eclipse of Heaven*. Even to one. Without religious commitment and theological convictions it should be an unsettling thought that this world is attempting to chart its way through some of the most perilous waters in history, having now decided to ignore what was for nearly a millennia, its fixed point of reference, its north star, the certainty of judgment, the longing for heaven, the dread of hell. These are not prominent considerations in our modern discourse about the important matters of life, but they once were. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, so then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings in the ESV. It says, hold fast to the traditions we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. Paul said, listen, let the tradition of the teachings of the resurrection and the the crucifixion of Christ and death burial and how we will be resurrected on on the last day and how when you die, you will either go to heaven Of the foundations of our belief system, be continually on your mouth. Write it, talk about it, keep it going. Because if we don't keep the traditions of the the correct teaching alive, they will die. And our society has crucified its tradition. We won't want to believe in something that is so real, something that is so tangible, something that is so definite, something that is so final. We don't want something else to have control of our autonomous lives. So we've abandoned the idea of tradition. Now I ask why, why have we done this? Why have we abandoned this idea of tradition? Because I believe, from my framework, the Bible being my foundation of moral truth, that this is one of the devil's greatest plans. The devil wants to tell lies to you about heaven and hell. John eight forty four says, He is a murderer from the beginning, Satan, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. When Satan lies, he lies about God's God's person, he lies about God's people, and mostly, he lies about God's place, God's head. Look what it says in Revelation 13. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Satan wants to get you to not consider the realities of the afterlife because if he can keep your ideas of heaven hearts on clouds and hell being this party, he is not concerned about you one day. He wants your tradition, he wants your belief, he wants you to accept the fact that there's no way that can be real. Isaiah 1 Satan knew this and Isaiah tells us. Because you know that Satan used to dwell in this heavenly place. Satan used to live there and he's extremely angry and bitter that God kicked him out of that place and we ought to understand why God did that. In Isaiah chapter 14 it says, How are you? How, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of this morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's star and I will preside on the mountain of God far away in the north and I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depth. The same was in heaven and he got in his mind that he wanted to be above God and to be higher than God. And so God kicked him out of, of, of heaven and now Satan knows that if he can just get you and me to make our lives more open to God then we will also not get to experience what God originally intended for every person on the planet yeah. he lies he lies to you and he lies to me and Satan doesn't need to convince us that heaven and hell doesn't it doesn't exist he only needs to convince us that heaven is boring and unearthly experience. But in reality, heaven is very more similar to earth than you think. And if we believe that we will have no joy and expectation of the life to come, we will want the most out of this life. If we don't see a beautiful eternal heaven that was that it's written in Scripture, and we don't have a clear understanding of that, then we are going to think about our lives like I've done in the past and said, and then I don't really care about the afterlife. I just want to make sure that I get the most out of this life because this is all I got. We begin to live selfishly, and we begin to live for ourselves, and I have to be honest with you, up until I started the series, I made sure the same sentiment. I don't want to leave my children, and I don't want to leave my wife. I love them. I love this church. I love these people in this room. I love Calgary. I love the sun. I love I love the beauty of the climbing of a mountain and get to the top. I've only done this once, John, and ten thousand times, but I can say it because I've done it once. It's beautiful across the array, and I think, oh, I, I I don't want to give that up. Oh, how ignorant I was. Satan wants us to not believe those things, so that he will keep you right where you are living for this world, living for yourself. So let's talk about this world for a moment. Earth. Earth is the middle point between heaven and, and, and hell. This planet was created by God in order that we might be placed as His creation to worship Him, have a relationship with Him. And prior to the, the big fall of man, which we call it, Adam and Eve, sinned, Satan tricked them into disobeying God. Prior to that, the, the world that God wanted Adam and Eve to build was probably very similar, in some way, shape, or form, to the world that you see today. You know, there's some corruption in that, and there's some sin in that, and there's some difficulty in that, but what you see has been built and created, is probably a, there's a redeemed version that we'll talk about later, God actually intended for you and I to live in this place where we have lives and jobs and experiences that you have right now. So before the fall of man, there was this great experience with God where you were completely true to yourself and your identity. You knew who you were. You knew what you were here for. You knew exactly why you were knitted in your your mother's womb. And then... Satan tricked Adam and Eve, and things changed, and when sin and death entered the planet, it also cast this interesting haze across all of creation. This fog, this glass that's dimly lit. It's almost as though we're seeing a glimpse of reality, but things just don't seem right. It's like when you go to an eye exam, you know, and they... They, they got you the, the goggles on your eyes there with a the machine and, and they're trying to look across and it's really blurry and they switch it back and forth does this work does that work does this work does that work sometimes you're like it's the same what do do and you're looking through this thing that's blurry and you know I, can, I think I can make out an E I think I see an E there and we feel like sometimes this is what life is like that I feel like I can make out what this life's about and I feel like I kind of have an idea of what really I'm here for I feel like I have somewhat of this idea that if I just get married and have a kid and then that'll make it okay then you get there and realize yes it's wonderful but it just doesn't quite satisfy something in my heart. i start that business and I, I build that tower I go and expand my business to the whole country or the whole world I do what I do and it's just, I I, I know that if I can just do that, I can see it and I get there and realize that something just isn't right. I just can't quite see clearly and it doesn't matter, I don't think, how close you get to It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible or it doesn't matter how much you pray or it doesn't matter how good you are or all good things you do. There's just a moment in life where we realize that we just don't quite see clearly what God had intended for us. It constantly brings about these questions of what's life really about and why am I really here What's the point of all of this? And it's almost like the matrix. Those of you who were born in the 80s and know what I'm talking about. You know, looking in the eyes of Morpheus and saying, here's a red pill, here's a blue pill. I don't remember which pill is what, but I'm just gonna roll it. I paint the blue pill. You'll see the reality of what things are really like. You'll step back and see that this is just a big machine you wake up every thank you, kids you wake up every single day and you get your shoes on and you make that coffee and you've got your cream and your sugar and you swim it about and you see these movies you hear the, the, the the noise of the spoon going around the thing when your kids are in the background watching TV and your wife saying, Hey did you do this? And you're just sitting there and it's just all dull and dumb because you do the same thing every single day, Monday to Friday. You get up, you go to work, you go to work, you work, you deal with your boss, you deal with that person, you go to work to that same place that your wife doesn't know because 'cause you're not supposed to eat there. And you go to the next place, and you get home, and you go through traffic, and you listen to Andrew's radio station, the best radio station in the country. <laughs> and you just keep moving forward. And you come home, and you go to bed, and you get up, and you do it again. It's just this machine, this rat race. And even though we do it every single day, and we commit our lives to it, we know that there's something inside of us that just says, "I think I can see it clearly. I think I understand it. But I just don't." The other pills, you just take that blue pill, or the red pill, and you just stay numb until you're you just keep showing up and wearing the suit and sitting with the guy next to you and having another computer. You live this life where you realize, I think there's something more than this. There's something more than the crying of a child, which I love. There's something more. Something more than a beautiful marriage relationship. It's amazing. There's something more business just doesn't satisfy me. And even though I have a relationship with God and it's good and I, I, I'm constantly with Him and it's awesome, I still just don't feel like there's something missing. First Corinthians talks about this. Verse 9 says, Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. When the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly like a puzzle reflections in a mirror. Then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows. Me completely. It's this puzzling reality. This word here, this mirror, this puzzling picture is actually a, a bronze mirror as the reference. A bronze mirror. They didn't They didn't have mirrors that they meant bronze. And so when you looked at the picture, I imagine this, I have a funny joke, but it's probably offensive when you, these women have these mirrors and they, think they look beautiful they look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Looking in this bronze mirror where it's just a simply puzzling reflection of themselves where it's foggy, and, and, and you can kind of make it out. That is Paul's description of our world. Paul the Apostle, writer of uh, almost all of the New Testament, identified that life is nothing but this puzzling reflection, like a glass in a mirror, where things are obscure, and things seem dark, and things seem like they're not clear. The same thing, you know, I, and what we do often is, when we experience this, we say, okay, so I know what to do, it seems clear, so I'm going to go help someone, or I'm going to read a self-help book or I'm going to go exercise more or I'm going to go eat better. And those things are great and they make you do better and you look better and you feel better, but only for a while. Something isn't right. Why? Is it so puzzling? Paul, which is just again in Romans 8, look at this. It says, that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God's reign reigns in until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment in the glorious time ahead. Meanwhile, there is a joyful anticipation. In the NIV, Paul says this in the same uh, scripture. He says, for the creation was subjected to a frustration. Now, this is me. I get frustrated. I turned 37 yesterday. I get super depressed before my birthday. And the reason I get depressed before my birthday, I, as something comes over me, like a dark cloud, it's because there's this frustration in me that I, I, do I have it right? Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I serving God well enough? Am I, am I this? Am I that? Am I all these different things as I come into another year, as I come closer to the dark door of death, have I really lived the life that God wants me to live? And I realize that there is this frustration in me. And this is what I've realized this year. Thank the Lord. I used to think that that frustration was just because I wasn't happy with my wife and marriage. I used to think it was because I... Because my kids drive me crazy. Sometimes I want to kick them. <laughs> I thought it was maybe because your wife and started church and it's like, you know, maybe it just didn't quite fulfill me. I thought, oh man, maybe I started that business, six years of business, highly successful business, oh, that is amazing, but it, didn't just, it just didn't quite fulfill me. And I realized that. Holy Spirit spoke to me as I've been studying for this. He said, Ryan, this is what you've been struggling with for years. This frustration that you sense in your heart where things just aren't quite complete, where it seems so puzzling in your life. Ryan, that is actually something I put in your heart. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes about it. In chapter 3, verse 11. He's made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set an eternity in the human heart. So when you look at your life and you think that I'm building this business or having that marriage or I gotta have that 2.5 children or I gotta get to that place to do this thing and you get there and you know when you get there you know in your subconscious that when you arrive on that day that it's not going to satisfy. You know when you buy that boat and you get that escalade and you do it. I don't mean like escalades maybe one of those Land Rovers you get you get all those really nice things you like you know in the back of your mind that when you get there it's really not going to satisfy and the reason is is because a little area in your life called eternity and really what it is on the deep inside of you when you start to feel antsy and you start to feel like I'm frustrated that is heaven that is eternity speaking to your heart saying yes there is more there is so much more for you after this life eternity we oh, yeah, have adventures love Excitement and jobs responsibilities and purpose and definition for our life. See, God put this eternity deep within your heart and the dissatisfaction in your life. is because this earth is not your home. You were created for this earth, but something went haywire a long time ago, and Jesus came back to give us a taste of what was to come, and now you live a life of frustration because God allowed this area of your life where you always are longing for something more than that more is eternity in heaven with Jesus. This idea creates this longing in us. This gnawing. There's a book I read that called it The Haunting of Your Soul, and the author called it Jesus. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This haunting. Mm -hmm. This like nagging in the back of your head that what you're doing isn't going to fulfill It'll bring joy, it'll bring happiness, it'll satisfy, it'll do. It'll do, you. But at the end of the day, you know, every one of us here has this very heart that only God can fill. And when God fills that, we begin to experience eternity. And when we begin to experience eternity, we begin to get this reminiscence of home, the smells of homes the experiences of home and you're in a worship service and you're worshiping God and you feel His presence. You say, oh my gosh, what is that? That's just a foretaste of heaven. Oh man, I'm out doing my job and I've built this business and it's blessing people and it's expanding God's kingdom and I'm, I feel so much joy. Why do I feel much, so much joy? Because you're tasting home. You're tasting heaven. You're tasting what God put in your heart so long ago. Put eternity deep within your heart. There's a couple of quotes here from Peter Kreft, heaven is our home. we long for Eden. We lost not just our youth, but our identity. Who are we now? We're not sure. We all have amnesia. We feel like the throne prince is turning to frogs by a magic spell and awaiting another magic spell, a transforming kiss to restore our true identity. He continues, earth just doesn't smell like home. However good a road it is, however good a motel it is, however good a training camp it is, it is not home heaven is. Play with that thought for a minute. Heaven is home. Experiment with the thought. Feel the gem. Look at the picture. Explore the house before deciding whether to buy. Heaven means not just a pleasant place, but our place. Not just a good, but a good place for us. We fit there. We are fully human. Look what what C.S. Lewis said. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves, who set on foot the conversions of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth, precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. And it's since Christians have largely created cease to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim in heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Amen earth, and you will get neither. So we end our time here today with a question I imagine you with a lot of questions I imagine a lot of questions you can write in hell after life all this different stuff I imagine here today you have a thousand questions and I probably won't be able to answer them today and that's okay to have your questions but I want to come to you today with, with one final thought one final question that's very important for every person in this room do you know that you can start your journey today towards heaven or hell right now if eternity is written on every human heart, how do I know if I'm going to heaven or if I'm going to hell? How do I know where I'm going? The Bible says that human life is lived and lived on one two trajectories toward either eternal life or eternal death. God has fashioned our lives in such a way to show us a momentary decision that can have repercussions for the rest of our lives. And in this life, there are decisions that you make that will navigate the rest of your existence, like marriage, and parenthood, a commitment to a specific career. But every one of us in life have these moments where our future hangs on it. It's like being in, in the, the World Series, and you're deciding whether or not to swing that bat when, when it's the final, final game, the final moment, am I going to swing that bat try to try to drive a home run to bring my team home? That moment of decision is a maker and a breaker for your life. We have these types of decisions our entire life the type of decision we have but when we were younger to, to, to speak with a certain person and now we have this beautiful child or maybe when we were younger you got married and you didn't turn out great and you a divorce and you want to get married again or, or maybe you want to go to this certain place and start this business and you move your whole family there and you make a decision that will forever write the trajectory of your children's life we make decisions right now in this life that will impact our eternal trajectory In most cases, you only get one chance to do this right. I only get one marriage. I only get two kids. I only get one opportunity. You only get one life to get this right. I would hate for you to think that the the vastness of 70 to 100 years, the, the length of 70 years is anything close to the realities of how long heaven is with Jesus. Look at the scripture here Mark 8. Calling the crowd to join the disciples. He said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. So sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get yourself, get everything you want and lose, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul to? I'll do it next week. I'll do it next, next time. I'll do it tomorrow. You know, I'll take care of it in the afterlife. I'll take care of it when I'm 90, and lay on that deathbed. Then I'll get it right. Then I'll make that decision about heaven and hell. Just at the end of the day, whether you have a reality, whether you have a full picture of what heaven and hell looks like, I would put money on it the idea that you do believe something happens. You say, I'm going to do it tomorrow. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, God says at just the right time I heard you on the day of salvation and I helped you indeed the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. I want you to make a decision today. And from this moment forward, you're going to say, okay, my life is going to be a life that's headed towards heaven. My life is going to be a life that's spent. Investing into the life that I will live. The life that you invest in now will impact the life that you live in the afterlife. Last scripture here this morning, we will pray. John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one who sent to earth. The way to experience eternal life is this. To start to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all this happens is this. You first have just have to go on a journey. I have to make a confession to you church folks, listen to me for a minute and I'll be done. I am not overly convinced that I can have you stand up today and raise your hand and make a confession. And that means instantly there you are, you're a Christian. I think it's a journey. I think what happens is, if you make a determination in your heart, guess what? I don't have all the answers, I don't know what it looks like. Yeah, I'm still going to do things that I maybe shouldn't do. Yeah, I'm still probably going to make mistakes. But this is what I'm going to commit to. I want to surrender my life to God. As much as I know how, on this journey of faith, I want to give my life to God. I want to serve God. And I want to spend the time with Him. Yeah, I'm going to follow my way through it. Yeah, I made mistakes, and yeah, I'm gonna fall short. Yeah, I'm gonna still find my life, and yeah, I'm gonna still things, say things I shouldn't do, things I should Yes, all those things will still happen. You don't just turn a page and now you're a brand new person and never do those things again. That's not true. What happens is that you make a determination in your heart, you count the cost of your life, and say, okay. I want the trajectory of my life and my children's life and the generation's life that will follow after me to be people who will not only serve God, but will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. Did you buy your this morning and stand to your feet? Or stand your feet and bow your head? <laughs> we do this every week because we want to give people an opportunity to acknowledge that they want to go on that journey. I believe the Bible does say that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saved. Which means that when you make that conscious effort in your heart and your mind to say, yes, God, I believe that you are God and that i want to follow after you. Instantly, the Bible says that you are born again, but it's a journey. It's a commitment. And there's a cost. And that cost is worth it. You'll never regret it. ten years from now, hundred years from now, you'll never regret making that decision to follow after Jesus. Maybe I close in this place this morning. You're here today, you say, Ryan, I'm I not a Christian. I am not a follower of God today. And I'd like to give my life to God. I don't know what that means or what it looks like really, but I just think I'd like to make a commitment today that I'd like to start going on this journey. Even you know, if you're here today, you say, Ryan, I, I was once a Christian or once went to church. That's okay. This is for you too. I'm going to count to three. If you're here today, you say, Ryan, I would just like to start this journey. I'm not going to embarrass sure you. all, call you forward. All eyes are closed. I just want to see you today and know who I'm praying for. Come on, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Go ahead and put your hand in the air. Make that commitment to follow Jesus Christ today. Give your heart to Him. Even if you haven't done well before, it's okay. You can start fresh. Come on, go ahead and put that hand in the air today. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you forward. Amen. Amen. Come on, church. Would you repeat after me this morning? I'm going to pray a prayer. I want every voice in this place to pray with you today. Dear Jesus, I stand here today stand you. in need of, you. need of you. I want to spend my life for you. Life for you. Forgive me of for everything I've done wrong. Wash I want. me white and stone. And I want to commit my life to you today. I want to commit my, to to put my heart to you, my mind to you. Our heart to you, my heart here, my mind here, my soul and my body, my soul and my body. I want to go on this journey with you today. I want to go on this journey with you today. and spend eternity in heaven with you. eternity in heaven with you. In Jesus' my name, in Jesus my name, Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.